I drank Negronis all day when I rewatched that race. Did you rewatch that race? <laughs> I rewatched it just to see if I could find some moments yeah, to talk about. It's kind of bad. I don't think Again. there's a lot to talk about. Here's your bulletin, guys. It wasn't a good race. It wasn't a lot to talk about. I wouldn't say it wasn't a good it was, race. It, it was, was a good it race. Had some moments, but it was what is classic Imola, which is processional. Right. So if it wasn't for the rain, I think that would have been absolutely, it would have been terrible up with kind of the Paul Ricard from a couple of years ago, terrible, like just really almost unwatchable. I think the weather helped. It's a shame because last year, this race was unbelievable. It was one of the best ones of the year. You know, a few redeeming things like Lando getting on the podium was nice, but this is a tough watch. Can we just call the show now? And with that, it's lights out on another episode of Flippin' F1. This week, the circus finds itself in San Marino, where we saw a pretty interesting race, except if you talk to Spence, but it all depends, where a couple of bulls spoiled the Tifosi's day. We saw a prancing horse find itself lame and another one chasing its own tail. We saw the return of the Mick again as McLaren gets on the podium. And a whole lot of other stuff, including things that I'm not going to start off with right now. So let's get into it. Bye, how we doing? Professor, you're not at home today. No, I'm not, but I'm doing very well. Quite comfortable and, and happy to talk about what was an interesting and fun midfield race, but a very boring front of the line race. Yeah, which, and I mean, San Marino in the rain, man, I'm so glad you pulled out that hula skirt, though. And I had to try to bring it out again for Sunday, but I just didn't have enough time to get us a full wet dash at the end. Yeah, yeah, no, this is it, man. You got to work on that hip work there. Yeah, bro. it needs a bit more, yeah. a bit more energy into it. Sorry, guys. We'll forgive you. <laughs> you know, you can do it. Put your back into it. That's, uh, <laughs> anyways. Stax, how are you, man? Good, Rand. I'm good. Glad to be here with you guys to chat about our sprint race and our race race and the rest of it. And, of course, on the grumpy side of the left, we got Spence. You guys are calling me grumpy because <laughs> I'm accurately pointing out the weekend got worse the further we got into it. Quality was actually pretty good on Friday. The sprint race was, like, entertaining, not as good as quality. And the actual Grand Prix was actually pretty boring. If that makes me a grump, then fine. I mean, Spence, it's going to be okay. When Netflix cuts it back together for uh, an episode next year, they're just going to uh, make it all up anyway. So yeah, that's true. They, <laughs> the episode on San Marino, literally, and I know I'm stealing somebody's thunder here, but that like Netflix episode is going to be like, oh, and Hamilton gets lapped by Verstappen and shown like 18 times. It takes two minutes to lap somebody. You know that, right? Followed by Will Buxton saying... Yeah, I'm not sure how that happened, but he lapped him over and over and over again. If Max is first and passes Lewis, he has lapped. <laughs> Stating the obvious once again. Thank you, Will Buxton. <laughs> For our loyal fans, all three of you, Will Buxton is a Formula One journalist who probably doesn't listen to this cast and doesn't know we're making fun of him, but well known for his Captain Obvious moments. <laughs> They're all Captain Obvious. I mean, there were some... Great moments where Crofty on the Sky Sports feed was saying things that were completely wrong, but sticking with them. <laughs> you know, there were some fantastic moments where he was sort of quoting where Lewis Hamilton was on the track and going, no, no, that's not Lewis. Sorry to tell you. So it was fun everywhere. I think this race 
everyone was making it up. Lewis, I mean, let's go all the way back to FP2 because that was the weirdest time to turn on the engines and actually perform this weekend. I don't really know what the hell they were thinking during that free practice. Or did everybody else just have stuff turned off? Like, I don't get it. I had the whole FP2 turned off. Sorry. Well, and that's on brand for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I normally watch all the stuff. But the sprint race sequencing of a weekend totally throws me off course. Really shakes you up. Really shakes you up. It really does. Yeah, Yeah, I I totally must have to. Oh, no, no. Spence was asleep during FP2. I I think I had it over breakfast. That's got quality over breakfast, I think. Quality for me was eight in the morning. So it was actually a really nice way to start my Friday. It ended up going kind of long. Luckily, I didn't have any calls until 10 a.m., but yeah, it's a pretty good way to start a day. I do not like Friday qualifying if it's going to happen during the middle of the workday for us. I, I, I couldn't watch it. It's, uh, you know, time zone discrimination. That's a very Toronto centric view of the world you have there. Not unsurprising. It is the center of the universe, sir. Oh, we just alienated our other three fans, by the way, but thanks. Sorry, mom. Yeah, that's all good. All right. General impressions, Phil? Of the, of the race, of the track? What are we talking about? Of the weekend. Of the weekend. I love Imola. I love the, the circuit. I love being in Italy. I think the Italians really get into it. I mean, the race itself was hit and miss in parts. You had to look for the excitement parts. But overall, it was on form with what we were expecting, I think. Tell me more about Imola, right? Why is this a track that's returned to Formula One. It was gone for a couple of years and now it's back. Give me some history behind this track. What makes this one special? So, I mean, Imola has a long history within Formula One, you know, going back to the 50s, but really was a mainstay of all the racetracks of the seasons throughout the 80s, 90s, and and early 2000s. Some great races were there. I mean, Mick Schumacher and Alonso in early 2000s had a couple of great racing moments and things like that. It's You mean Michael Schumacher and Alonso? Did I say Mick by mistake? Yes, mm-hmm. I meant, I meant Michael. Mick. I meant his father. Look at that. Freud was right. But no, it's got a rich history of racing, uh, Formula One racing, but also other types of racing, motorbike races there as well. And the circuits had some changes over the years, but it is an unforgiving circuit. I mean, if you look at the cars, those white lines are treacherous. So you hit the chicane wrong in some of those corners and you're off into the wall as several drivers found out throughout the weekend so let's go to history as well lots of good racing has happened there and then unfortunately as well lots of tragedies happened there too the 94 san marino grand prix was probably one of the worst weekends certainly in modern history of formula one racing where there was a crash on friday with rubens barrichello and he ended up being unconscious on the saturday roland ratzenberger crashed out of the villeneuve corner and came and passed away and then on Sunday in the race itself, Ayrton Senna, a three-time world champion, crashed in Tamburello on lap seven. So that was a particularly memorable and sad time for Formula One. But they kept racing there for another couple of years. Teams love it. The drivers loved it. But it was taken off the circuit uh, in 2006, I believe, was the last time before the COVID era has brought us back to uh, Imola. You know, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Ayrton Senna statue at Imola is perhaps the most gut-wrenching thing I've ever seen. Like, it is so lovely and peaceful, but also will, like, tear your heart out if you're a fan. So, Stacks talks about tech specs. Phil alluded to this. Imola is an interesting circuit. It's very narrow. You've got the trees. And over the years, there have been a bunch of added chicanes. It used to be some more, kind of, more sweeping corners. The Villeneuve corner became Villeneuve chicane. Uh, A couple other ones put in over the years as well. So it's a little bit of a circuit with a lot of twiddly bits. So you really need a lot of downforce on the circuit. A lot of air pushing the car onto the ground to grip everything. 
It's not a super high-speed circuit. So you're going for a lot of downforce. The interesting tech specs we've got for this race this year, it's your first European race of the season. And I was speculating that a lot of teams would bring a lot of big upgrades to this race. And it turns out they didn't. We had a few minor upgrades from a bunch of different teams. A lot of stuff to do with the floor, about sealing the floor to the track to get better downforce from the diffuser, even to the point that I think Alfa Romeo they actually just like relocated their floor. They just moved it a bit. But there weren't a huge amount of massive upgrades. And the theory on that was, or the teams had said, we don't want to bring massive upgrades to this because it's a sprint weekend. And because you don't get like three free practices, then qualifying, it's really hard to gather data and figure out which way our upgrades have gone and tune the car for them. So what they did is a few minor upgrades. I think Aston Martin might have, their floor movement might have helped them. I think there was a little upgrade for Red Bull that was about cooling and about floor. And Mercedes tried something that worked only if you're George Russell. So everybody's chasing downforce. Maybe we're going to see some big upgrades once we're back from Miami in about five weeks' time. But no massive upgrades as of yet. So talk to me about setup in the rain, right? Like this is our first really solidly rainy race. How does the setup differ on the car when you're setting up for a good rainy run like that versus when you're setting up for the dry? Oh, you install the windshield wipers on the halo. That's the first thing. <laughs> you wasted. <laughs> so interesting thing, the wet weather tires, the intermediate tire, which is kind of a, it's raining, but it's not a monsoon. And then the full wet, the blue tire, it's a monsoon. They're actually in diameter, a little bit bigger than the other tires. So the ride height goes up a little bit, just so you you know, reduce the risk of like bottoming out when you aquaplane. And what the teams try to do is they try to crank a bunch of downforce onto the car through the front wings and the rear wings. The teams might do a little bit of suspension trickery, but with what are called the park fermé rules, which is the park is closed. It's what happens after 10 p.m. Don't go there. The teams really have to lock in the setup that they want to use all weekend. So in this case, it would be in qualifying, which was wet. It rained a whole bunch. The sprint race, which wasn't really. And then the race, a little bit. They got to lock that in before they qualify. So they've got to really find a compromise setup in terms of how much downforce and our ride height and how do we extract good performance when it's raining as well as when the track may dry out. Okay, so like, talk to me like I'm a new fan, right? Like, I mean, we know that you want the floor as low as you can because the grippiness, yada, yada, yada. But if you're getting the porpoising, the bouncing, like we've been seeing, why not just raise the damn car? Well, that's what they've done. That's what Mercedes has done. And when you raise the damn car, you lose some of the downforce effect from under the floor, the bit under the car that sucks it to the ground, which is what the kind of compromise that people like Mercedes-Benz and Aston Martin have been chasing. Just when you're further from the ground, you get less downforce generated from the under the car stuff. That's kind of how it goes. And you got to crank on more wing. And when you crank on more wing to push the car down because the floor isn't sucking you down, then you're in a situation where you can't go as fast because downforce is drag and it resists how fast you can go when you get to the fast parts. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to Miami, which is well known for its low riders. So we're going to see all kinds of new hydraulics. Uh, active suspensions are still illegal. Have been since the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, let's keep it in San Marino. Spence, why should the flipping F1 crew head to San Marino for a race? Well, Randy, let me ask you, like, do you like Parma ham? Do I? Do you like Parmigiano Reggiano? 
Do I? Do you like lasagna, tagliatelle, tortellini? Do I? These are all things that are either made in, you know, Emilia-Romagna or they're traditions from the area. It is one of the preeminent food kind of regions, I would say, in the entire world. I mean, people have called it the gastronomic treasure of Italy. You definitely want to go there if you like food. I just thought you were throwing out Italian words that, you know. No, this is like, look, these are all things that are kind of native to the region, right? And it's uh, a prolific wine producing region as well. Uh, Sangiovese, Lambrusco, all things that you, you find in the area. I've definitely taken the opportunity to sample those when I can, as often as I can. It's also got some world-renowned restaurants as well. About an hour and 20 minutes down the autostrada from Bologna is the city of Modena, where Osteria Francescana is located. Restaurant by Massimo Vettura, which is regularly seen as one of the kind of top two or three in the world. And he was actually at the race in Imola this weekend. Yeah, Chef Vettura was a guest of Ferrari. And uh, he was in the paddock and we mm. saw him on screen several times during the race. Yeah. Good. Now I got to ask the question that like all of our eight fans are really, really wanting me to ask, did your Pirellis have to contend with the wet this weekend? So my Pirellis are now in storage. So I am driving Michelins for the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I couldn't get new Pirelli summers. Here, where I live in this, you know, slightly communist part of the country, we regulate what tires people can drive, what time of the year. And I had to switch over from winters to summers. Anyway, I now have Michelin's. How very F1 of you. All right. Except Michelin is not there anymore. All good. All right. Well, Eric, play the clip. Bingo! It's time for everybody's favorite game and the one that we love playing every week. Box, box, box. Bingo! This is a game where there are nine boxes on the board. Everybody makes some pretty wild predictions every once in a while, and we see how we all do. Usually, Gareth gives himself a bunch of points, but we gave some rules to this year's boxes, so let's see how it goes. We're actually, instead of starting at box one, we're going to start over at box four, which is quality top five, how they finished before penalties applied, and... Because this is fun, we awarded Phil no points. He is the weakest link. Goodbye. So, how did everybody else do? Start us off, Gareth. Well, just to even recap, our top five qualifiers were in order. Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Magnussen, and Alonso. And at least a couple of us were really thinking this is going to be Carlos Sainz weekend. He got his new contract extension. He's going to get his head like right in the game. He's going to knock it out of the park. He didn't. He didn't. So I, I had like three of the top five, including Kevin Magnuson, which, you know, three out of five ain't bad, including uh, Kevin Magnuson. And the Haas was performing great in the wet, stuck it on fourth place. No, yeah, solid. Solid. Benz, how'd you do? I had nothing. I had the signs for Stephen Leclerc, Perez, and Russell. And then I punctuated it with a vamos. Vamos. So I had two of the five, which is. Not very good. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing. I, I thought Science was going to have a great weekend. I thought Hamilton might have pushed it up into quality, and that clearly did not happen. But You'll see how long you're going to keep with that one. I like the loyalty, I'm though. Sticking you're with sticking with your guy. I'm sticking with him all season. We'll see what happens. I like, It's Randy. He's always going to stick with Hamilton. This quality 
was just, you know what? I will say it now and I will say it proudly. It was a bad drive. It was bad luck, a bad car and just altogether bad. Like it was just not a good weekend for my man Hamilton. There was all kinds of things wrong. We'll get into some stuff because like there were some moments where had they not happened, he might have fought into at least a point. But the coulda, woulda, shoulda for Lewis Hamilton. Okay. Yeah, that's the theme of the weekend, right? Like he had nothing on quality and it was hard to see. You know, I'm sure there was that Netflix moment of like, oh, Lewis had a heated conversation with Toto right after quality and who knows what was said and what wasn't said and yada, yada, yada. But man... This quality was bad for me, too. I had Norris up there. Where were Norris Minister and quality? Ooh, let's see. Not up high, that's for sure. No, no, it was all bad. I just, I don't know. I had nothing going on for me this weekend. Oh, no, sorry. No, Lando Norris, he qualified third. Oh, he did, too, didn't yeah. he? Okay, so I had Lando. I had Verstappen. I didn't think Verstappen was going to do as well as he did. Leclerc, I thought, was going to own this weekend, and he did not. I didn't think the pressure was going to get to him. I thought that Defossi would carry him over the line. And you were all calling K-Mag, I know. Even Phil, having not put up anything, was calling K-Mag, and sure enough, that happened. Of course I was. And Fredo in fifth place. None of us had Alonzo up there. I will say, this yeah. uh, qualifying, we can talk about it a bit later. We had five red flags during friggin' qualifying. Let's talk about it now. We're talking about quality. So. Oh, my gosh. Five red flag quality like it. You know, glad I wasn't watching it live. So Landon Norris brought out the red flag, put off track into the wall. The FIA and K-Mag, and as the keeper of the leaderboard, I'm going to attribute this to both of them. K-Mag put it off the track and the FIA shot the red flag load too soon. Then Signs hmm. in Q2 put it off the track into the wall, ended Q2, got himself into Q3. Great. And then the FIA and Lando Norris did the exact same thing as K-Mag. Oh, sorry, that was FP1. <laughs> but Alex Albon with a fire in Q1, brought out a red flag as well. And then we had one more red flag in qualifying with Valtteri Bottas and some sort of Alfa Romeo issue. So yeah, it was just a hacked up qualifying all over the place. We need to find a way to send this episode directly to the Podcasting Hall of Fame at the end of the where We're supremely prepared tonight. <laughs> supremely prepared. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like, let me ask. Yeah, because, I mean, this is one for new fans, right? Like, they don't talk about it much in the broadcasts anymore because it's kind of an old standard. But, I mean, it's there, right? The 107% time, right? So, Alex Albon, DNFs, doesn't make the 107% time. Well, in, in fairness, it wasn't Alex's fault. It was William's fault. But the back wheel exploded and whatever happened, happened. Sure. So, like, I, I think explain for our new fans, like, what's the 107%? And then how the hell does Albon make it through this? The 107% rule comes from the good and bad old days of, I want to say the late 80s, early 90s, when there were 30 plus cars trying to get into an F1 race. Sometimes you had like 35, 36, 37. Hello, Colony. Hello, Osella. Hello, Subaru engine cars. You even had to pre-qualify then. But the 107% rule is a rule that says every car that qualifies has to be within 107% of the top qualifier's time in order to start the race. And when somebody blows up, puts it into a wall, doesn't set a time, there's a formal process. The team can apply to the steward to say, we know we're outside the 107% rule. We would like permission to start the race for this driver in this car. And they grant it. I think it came about and it fills with us. He can... I'll do my best. 
who triggered the 107? Was it like the Pacifics or something like that back in the 90s? It was, yeah. You were talking back into the mid-90s, Pacifics and the Simtex. Simtex, yeah. So slow they were dangerous on track Yeah, in the race because unlike Lewis only got lapped once by the leader, like these Simtex were getting lapped like... Every five laps. <laughs> yeah, it was just like rolling chicanes. So that's the 107% rule. It still exists. And, you know, had Nikita Mazepin joined us this year, who knows, but... <laughs> Ouch. Even before the 107% rule came in, there was something called pre-qualifying, where basically teams and drivers did not have results in the championship or track record. They actually had to go out, was it on Friday or even earlier on Saturday, and try to set a time that was fast enough to even get into qualifying. So if you ever go look up the results for some of these like teams you've never heard of, the Acellas, the AGSs, all that, you'll see the results are like DNPQ. And then once that kind of went away and the grid got a little bit smaller with the Simtex in the mid-90s, expenses found it's 96, then the 107% rule came in. So the last time that a team was not allowed to start the race because of the 107% rule, looking at Wikipedia of all things, was the 2012 Australian Grand Prix. Both HRTs were not allowed to start. So Pedro De La Rosa and everyone's favorite, Naring Kardikeyan. Narain Karthikeyan, yeah. yes. They were not allowed to start because they were so far off the pace. They were at 108%. And uh, Stewart said, absolutely no way. And that was last time we really had a big expansion of our F1 grid was when HRT and Virgin slash Marusha and Caterham and one of the Lotuses were all on the grid. So it's usually something that penalizes the brand new teams that suck. And we don't really seem to have that anymore. Even the new teams seem to be good, i.e. Haas. So, Phil, let me ask you, right, because I know you've got strong opinions. Like, does the 107 rule still apply? Do we need it anymore? I think it still applies. I mean, does it get enacted very often? No. But I think if you have a team or a driver that is performing that poorly, they don't deserve to be there. This is the pinnacle of the sport. And if you can't get within 107% of the pole time, the fastest driver, then, then no, you don't deserve to be there. Phil, I applaud your self-restraint. I totally teed it up for you to make a Mercedes joke, and you did not take it. I appreciate that, Stur. Yeah, I know you cried yourself to sleep on Sunday night after Hamilton's just awful day, so I have to give you some of a break there. Anyways, quality top five. So we award nobody any points. Let's move on to then box one, sprint race, top eight. Five correct wins the point. Gareth, take us through the results. This is probably the hardest point you've set us to win all year. Name eight drivers that finished in the top eight. So the sprint race, as it shook out, Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez, great race, Sainz, great race, Lando Norris, Danny Rick, Valbot, and K-Mag was your top eight. Ah, I got seven. Shut up, Phil. <laughs> oh, so sure. I get something right, you get pissy about it. I think no, I nailed although it. Although, in fairness, I got seven as well. Did you nail it, Spence? So, who are the eight again? Verstappen, yeah. Leclerc, got him. Perez, got him. Sainz? Sainz, I got. Yeah. Lando. Yeah. You have Aloe in your top five. Oh, eight. shit. Instead of, instead of Dalbot. Okay. Dalbot, I got seven. I think everyone got yeah. seven, actually. Did we all get seven? We all got Everybody seven. Everybody No, wow. sorry, sorry. No, Randy, no, no. Randy, Randy, no, Randy. No, no, Randy's love for Sir Lewis Hamilton uh, really scuppered him again. Did I get six? You, you got, got six. six. Now I get the point. Fuck off. No, you don't get the point. There should be a no Hamilton point. <laughs> Whatever. Five corrects got the damn box. <laughs> Take it, damn it. 
I would think that each of the three of us who got seven of eight get a point, and you don't because we got so close. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. I made the rules, and top five correct got the point, so I'm taking it, damn it. I appreciate your ability to change the rules on the fly. That's great. You know what? I learned from last season. This is I was going to say, you learned from you, Gareth. You used to do that to us all, la- all last season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was referring to Michael Massey, but sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it is box two, race, top five finishers. How do we do? Well, I mean, the race result. Verstappen, Perez, Norris, Russell, and Valbot was our top five. Yeah, I did not get this box. No, no, no. I did not get this box. And Spence is not even on the board. No, no, I'm on the board. Uh, I only got two of the five, though. I had Verstappen and Perez. I got those two. I also had Sainz, who didn't finish. Ricardo who might as well not have finished. He was DFL, I think. And Leclerc, who finished sixth. Okay, so let's talk some of these moments, because these are really good, right? Like, how the hell does Leclerc not finish on the podium on this race? Like, what was going on? He took a calculated risk, and then he pushed too hard. Yep. I mean, if you want to win the Formula 1 championship, you have to try to maximize on every point. So he was literally going after every point. And he took too much curb into Zachary Minerale, actually. It was Zachary Minerale. And those curbs do not dry. They're unforgiving in the first place, but they do not dry, really. No, 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 no. But also those lines around Imola are deathly anyway, and we saw so many cars touch the lines and spin out. But those curbs and everything, no, that did not help his case. But he was trying. He was giving it everything he had. Well, and just to even recap, he pitted for fresh soft tires, I think with 10 or 13 laps to go, had fallen back to fourth and was pushing like heck to make the tire advantage work to get back up onto the podium and get the fastest lap point. And like you said, Phil, pushed too hard and uh, didn't happen. And then Sainz and Danny Rick at the front. What do you guys think? Danny Rick apologized to Sainz for that. He said, yeah, it was a little bit my fault on that one. Put myself on the curb to give myself space and ended up understeering into you in the wet. Sorry. Sorry, I you know, yeah. took you out of your home race. Bit of a gentlemanly race that way. Yeah, well, the stewards looked at it and said, you know what? On the balance, race and incident. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, I feel badly for Carlos, right? Signed a new contract, thought this weekend was going to be great, and clearly not, not even close to great. So this then leads to the question, because if I actually think back, a lot of drivers, when they sign their contract, their next race is not great. Didn't that happen to Ocon last year when he signed like the long-term deal? It happened to Ocon last year, yeah. I believe it happened to Leclerc when he signed his long-term deal as well. There seems to be, I don't know what it is. It's some bad luck. Curse of the contract. Well, so, I, I, yeah. I pushed so hard and tried to be so perfect to get this deal done on my driving skills. And now I can, you know, have an extra pasta and stay up late watching Netflix before the race. Look, I mean, there might be some pattern there, but let's go back to Monaco or Monaco, as we like to say last year. All of the speech lessons have gone well, Phil. McLaren announces they have signed Lando to a long-term deal, and he ended up on the podium. Biggest race of the year. Mm-hmm. You've proven Phil's theory wrong. I didn't say it always happens, Spence. I just said that it happens more often than not. Ooh, you're going out on a limb there saying more often than not. Quick, to the statisticians. I know, I know, I know. Look, I'm just going back to the last couple we've seen. I'm just saying, like, this one perhaps runs counter to your theory that people crumble under the pressure of great expectations, right? I think part of the problem with Esteban, if memory serves, is that they found like a crack in his chassis around the same time that he was announced as having that big extension, right? So, you know, there's probably a bunch of reasons why. One of which definitely has to be, 
hey, we just agreed to back a Brinks truck up and pay you 20 million euros a year or 17 million pounds a year or whatever the massive inflated number is. But I think some guys deal with it better than others. Was this the reason why Carlos had a shit weekend? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, like, he seemed like he made a, a bad mistake in quality. He was having a great. He had a great yeah, sprint race, he had right? A great he sprint back. race. Yeah. Well, he and Perez, they both drove their hearts out in the sprint race and got where they needed to be. Well, so let's talk about what we're talking about, though, right? Like, is the pressure getting to Carlos a little bit? Is he just over anxious about being what is clearly the Ferrari number two? Right. I mean, they can talk all they want, but he's the Ferrari number two. He had a couple of moments like this in qualifying last year where like he was kind of like driving by himself and put the car on the wall. Uh, I think it's just something that happens. I think he demonstrated in the sprint race that he can still drive the wheels off the car when he needs to or when he's feeling it. The incident in the race was, I think, not his fault at all. I think driving the wheels off the car is probably not the <laughs> best uh, yeah. metaphor. Best metaphor for Carlos this weekend. Phil, you had a comment there. No, I mean, I, I don't think the pressure's getting to him. I, I really don't. I think if you look at him and you look at his racing history, there are just some tracks that suit certain drivers better. And I don't think this is one of the ones that really suits him from that perspective. So it was never meant to be in the first place. Yeah, That's I disagree. I think he messed up and qualified, made it back in the sprint, and got unlucky in the race when Danny Rick hit him. And that's racing. That's racing, exactly. He didn't hit you, son. He didn't bang you. He rubbed you. Rubbing is racing. Rubbing, son. Rubbing's racing. <laughs> At least quote something from Formula One. All right, moving on, Randy. Bucks three. When they make a great Formula One movie that isn't from the 1970s, then I will quote that. <sighs> <laughs> Until then, Days of Thunder is what it is. Yeah. All right. Bottom five. How do we do here? So for those of you playing at home, I didn't actually put any predictions in for a few of these because it's what's called officially induced error. The sprint race kicked off at 1030 local time here at my house. And I thought that's when the race would kick off too. And I'd have plenty of time eating breakfast to do this. Turns out Formula One and the FIA lied to me. So I didn't get my picks in, which is basically points by default. Points by default? No, it's lack of points by default there, Gareth. Thanks for coming out, buddy. For those listening, that was a lawyer explaining, couldn't get my lazy ass out of bed, so I'm trying to take the damn point. Would that work in trying to get a court document to the judge in time? I, I don't litigate. It doesn't matter. Anyway, pray carry on. I would have guessed that Latifi would be last. Right, Spence? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everyone had Latifi last, didn't they? Yes. I believe we did. Yeah, that sure. was a safe bet. For sure. And had it not been for hard tires and those crazy kids, it would have worked out for us. No, no. Nicholas Latifi actually finished ahead of two people who were still on the track at the same time this race. The bottom five runners classified at the end of the race were Zhou Guan Yu, his Alpha, Nick Latifi and his Williams, Mick Schumacher and his Haas, and Danny Rick in his uh, McLaren. Oh, sorry. Esteban Ocon yeah. as well. I'm sorry. He would have been 14th, Zhou 15th. Latifi 16th, Schumacher 17th, and Danny Rick 18th. Yeah, no, that's fair. I've got nothing on this box again. Like I, you, you had know, Ocon in the bottom reason, five. I had Ocon, I guess, but like Gasly drives out of his head, keeping the, that AT wide and keeping Hamilton behind. Sunoda shows up for points. Stroll shows up for points. Graham Ward finally. Latifi does a Latifi, but also, you know, finishes. Yeah, the so, head. so so I think Esteban split the box, right? 
amongst the three of us that actually completed it, Gareth gets no points, but I think the rest of us share the glory there. Everyone had two of five. Yeah, I think so. You, Everyone had two of five. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, shared the glory of zero with the rest of us. Considering that nobody got top five right anyways. Hey, let's go to box five, the <laughs> fastest pit stop. Somebody actually scored a point there. Believe it or not, our fastest pit stop in this race was McLaren with Lando Norris at 2.27 seconds. I'm afraid that's becoming a safe bet. I know. That's the problem. And, and then hit by uh, two hundredths of a second. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. I was like, that is really something. Now, are they still doing, like, I actually, I'm asking because I don't know. Are they still doing the thing where they, like, they have to hit the box or hit a timer or something? Like, some strange thing that was happening last season. It, it, yeah, it's not like it was at the beginning of last season. It's still a manual piece. Right? They have to press buttons to say that they're done with whatever, you're, like, you're putting the wheel on, whatever it is. And last season, it was automated. When the wheel gun hit, like, torque level X, it automatically knew that the wheel was on. Huh. Well, look at that. You get a point. I know. Isn't that amazing? Did you get your point for the middle box? And I'll let you talk about it because it was. Mm -hmm. The middle box for this week, fans, was called Uh, Professor's Choice. So tell us your choice and then tell us what happened. My choice was a Ferrari slam, as you put it, which I think is a great way of putting it. But essentially winning, for lack of a better term, quality, sprint, and race. Thinking, you know what? We've not actually won the middle box yet. This was a great opportunity for us. Somebody actually put it on the board there that I was strategically guaranteeing everybody that went on that middle box. And guess what happened, folks? Couldn't be further from the truth because they didn't get a single one of those. Hmm. So zero points for everybody. Once again, I award you no points. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. (laughs) Speaking of goodbye, I think we need to say goodbye to box number six or swear jar. Because I don't think that the broadcasters are playing anybody's sweary radio anymore. And I don't like that. I think the radio has dumbed down. But I do believe, and I haven't gone back to replay it, but I thought K-Mag actually did have it. He, K-Mag had it on a sprint quality or on quality, but didn't have it on race day. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. He was the All first right. to swear on the weekend, but I had changed it because the weekend's a long time. We don't usually have the swear jar picks in by then. So I changed it to who gets the first bleep on Sunday. On Sunday. Oh, I guess okay. it does say who gets the best bleep all weekend. But I don't know that it was K-Mag either. I'm pretty sure there was some other swearing on the radio. Either way, I know I lost because it wasn't for stopping because he had a good weekend. Again. So he wouldn't be swearing for any reason. No points. And I'm magnanimous, so I'm not taking the point for K-Mag. Ah, magnanimous for K-Mag. Ah, there it is. He caught it. All right, box seven, escape goats. Who gets the blame for causing an incident? This is between Spence and I. So Spence, you talk about it. Yeah, I don't know that there was one. Both you and I had picked Ocon for some reason. Not really sure why. Not sure that he actually caused anything. But I will say this. Because you and I were the only two capable of filling in the box, we should split the points by. That's how this works. Well, Spence, Phil, Randy, you know what? Ocon got penalized because of an unsafe release in the pit. Oh, that's true. The unsafe release. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we'll take the point. I think that's a legit point then. Which was the only penalty given out during the race itself. Wow. Okay. Great. I think that's a legit point. So then I need to spend more time thinking about this swear jar one because my box eight looks pretty good. So are we sure that Verstappen didn't get on the radio for swearing all weekend? On Sunday. 
You know what, Spence? Let's defer this to you. If you want to spend the time to go through all of the radio, watch Verstappen's race and listen to him. Well, and actually, you'd have to watch 20 different races time and listen back all. to the yeah. swearing. Yeah. 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 And time stamp yeah. them all. If yeah. you want to put the time in, you know, for points that don't see matter. See what comes up out yeah, of it, dude. Go, go Mashuga. Yeah. Go nuts. Well, Boxy, free prediction. Go nuts. Go Mashuga, if you will. Go Mashuga. I was really thinking that Mick Schumacher, I think, what did he start? He started the race 11th after a really good sprint race. Like, Mick Schumacher's going to get his first points. He actually started 10th. He started 10th. It was a solid call. It was a yeah, solid call. It was a call. good call. It was a great call, actually. And he, he got tangled uh, up in that he... signs Ricardo incident. I think he tagged uh, Fred Alonso, took off his side pod, and Mick finished down the back. No points for me or him. Well, I thought for sure that Albon was going to be the second weekend in a row where he got points. And guess what? That didn't happen by one spot. Thanks to Esteban Ocon's penalty. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Randy, let's talk about your free prediction. Can we really? <laughs> can we talk about this one? <laughs> oh, we all want to hear you talk yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> no, I honestly thought the Mercs, I mean, it, again, right, going back to what you're saying, like it's a race in Europe, people are going to bring upgrades. I thought, okay, great. Finally, the Mercs are going to put something on this damn car that actually give it some paste. And I figure, like, it wasn't under the delusion that these guys were going to fight for a podium, much less a win. But, okay, respectable top 10 weekend, not so much. Double top 10 weekend is how you worded that. Again, I'm going to keep saying, right? Bad race, bad strategy, bad car, bad luck. The <laughs> perfect storm. Oh, Randy. <laughs> it all happened. You Your know? dreams must be so inspiring. Hey, I said bad drive first. Leave me alone. I'm not <laughs> letting him off the hook. Everything else also went wrong. Yeah, I had Seb for his first points of the year, which, frankly, when the weekend started, didn't look like it was going to be that likely. But you know what? That dust and that package looked a lot better this weekend. Both Vettel... Right? Can we talk about Yeah, Aston like they did. Both Vettel and Stroll had some real pace relative to kind of the lower half of the midfield this weekend. I think we all thought that Seb's race in Australia was a bit of an aberration and that would not be kind of the norm. But you know what? I think for that team to get both cars in the points, like they must have been absolutely ecstatic going back to uh, the Silverstone. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Let's talk about the Towery too, right? Like those guys had a great race, all things considered. I did not. Well, think I think they were half the team did. Yeah. And Pierre Gasly didn't have. Pierre Gasly had a shit race. Gasly had a horrible race. Yeah. Well, but he still. Oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. Him. Everybody in Randy's mind, Pierre Gasly had an amazing race because he was able to hold off Sir Lewis Hamilton. He beat Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Whatever. Randy. That actually <laughs> happened. You can't beat me by telling the truth. Well, no, but this is how you're presenting it. You know what? Gasly's a phenomenal driver. He deserves to be in Formula One. But he had, what, being 12th? That's not a great race for him. Not when his teammate no, it's not. got into seventh. I mean, come like on. He's a race winner. He's a podium finisher. And just like Lewis got walked by his junior teammate, Pierre Gasly got walked by Yuki Tsunoda, who finished seventh. Got a great race. Past people without DRS. Yeah, I thought... Yuki, who I've been called, I called all of last season. I was on the Yuki train for a long time and he just could not stick it. But Yuki showed up. But I thought that AT, after I watched practices and other stuff, I, I thought that was hard, just that it was nowhere. 
it's starting to come alive. I don't think they've got the package quite right on that car. I mean, when you compare it to the sister team, Red Bull. Well, of course not. <laughs> no, but, okay, compare it to last year. You know, you could argue that really AlphaTauri was best of the midfielders, right? They were always up there. Now, they're not always there. Either you're deciding not to talk to me or you're just uh, letting me hang out there for a while. I swear that pause was just too good. <laughs> and everybody else is doing it. It's like, oh, man. Oh, you guys are bastards. Yeah, and that's fair. Well, with barely any points on the board, a couple of points actually on the board, but nobody gets a bingo, which means nobody gets any official points for this box. That's the end of this segment. Let's move on to that's a Netflix moment. All right, well, I put nothing on this. Honestly, I mean, I know the Netflix moment is going to be Verstappen laps Hamilton, which I'm stealing Spencer's thunder here, but that's going to be it, right? It's going to be like 180 minutes of that from different angles. Well, or it's going to be Sir Lewis Hamilton, I think as Gareth has said, gets walked by George. The infighting. And fights with Toto. Exactly. And then Toto falls over himself to suck Lewis's kneecaps afterwards, say the car's not worthy of a champion. All things that you do for your greatest asset. Finish that sentence, Bill. At least finish the work. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be the Netflix moment is Hello White Lines, because I think those white lines and those painted lines on that track were the cause of so many incidents. Let's talk about that, because that was the start of the weekend. Honorable mention, I think we got three or four red flags out of wet white lines. Incredible. It spun people into the wall. But that also goes to show how temperamental these cars are when they're in the wet and the the traction on paint that doesn't exist i feel like that's the miami setup right they're like white lines we can show you how to do those <laughs> different type of white lines randy different type i fully got the explicit for apple podcasts now i think i got you covered earlier <laughs> i just figured this was race controls like sneaky way of really enforcing track limits <laughs> I kind of like it. I'm there for it. If that's the real the limits of the track are the way line. Sure. I think it's fantastic. It becomes Rainbow <laughs> Road otherwise. But the number of parts they had to go through was just unreal. Although we saw a lot of like spins and stuff that were not really like crunchy. Uh, the ones especially that ought not to have been red, red flags. People just got beached and they got themselves out. It wasn't like Aston yeah. Martin's weekend in Australia. Probably less damage overall. That is true. That is true. Unless you're Williams and your entire rear brakes just explode. That did happen. You know what? I feel like there's also like a K-Mag Redemption story episode really, really starting to build itself there this season. It's, well, that's the theme really... of the season, isn't it? K-Mag Redemption? Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the Netflix stories is actually Redemption in the Rainfall. With We talked about it, Yuki and Aston Martin and Valbot all had great races, came back, showed everybody that they're, yeah, they're there. They're ready to rock. I think Stroll, again, scores in the rain. Like, I think that's every race he's ever raced in the rain. He scored points, yeah? I'd have to go comb through a couple of last couple of years of results, but I am 60% confident that that's right. 60% wins me an election in the U.S. So. Going to mention how you stole box box Sorry. bingo this week. Yeah. Shall we move on to another part of our little mural? Yeah, sure. So let's go to Penalty Props and Stewart Stewart. Was there stuff to talk about? 8.2 kph equals 900 euro? Yeah, somebody got a pit lane speeding fine, I think, in one of the free practices. It might be Lance Stroll, actually. 
and they were over the pit lane speed limit by 8.2 kilometers an hour. So that's apparently every kilometer an hour or part thereof is 100 euros. That's actually not bad for Formula One standards. I mean, what is that for Formula One drivers? Kind of price of a cup of coffee? They don't know what a price of a cup of coffee is, Phil. Oh, that's true. Coffee's free, Phil. What the hell, man? Get it right. It's in the motorhome. I'm trying to make all these puns and you're just taking them all out for me. Thanks, guys. I know, I'm just saying, like, you know, 900 euros, like, that's the price of a tank of gas right now. Come well, on. probably isn't it. <laughs> Shit, I filled up today. Yeah, you can tell me about that. Anyway, the pit lane speeding limit, and I'm sure that, like, the fines go up. They jump exponentially or something, but that was interesting. And then I think we need to talk about race control and see if this is race control rants or steward sewer. And they threw two red flags that were premature flagulation. There's one for K-Meg, and then there was one for Lando Norris. And in each case, they both actually hit the white line in Aqua Minerale, spun off into the gravel trap on the outside. But they managed to get themselves, like, keep the car running, get themselves unstuck, get on the road next to the wall, and then get back and rejoin the race. And I get the race controls got to be, like, extra super safe. But there's nothing wrong with throwing double yellows uh, for 30 seconds to figure out when there's just been a spin and not a crash because that's but, what okay. they did they spun and it's like oh okay are they beached are they stuck are we going to have to remove the car versus well clearly somebody's just like mick schumacher into wall and jetta and we need to get medical out there now i think they, they threw the red flag to so i think i have a different perspective on that oh good because i think no i do i have a different perspective on it. i think I, I get what you're saying but i think when you're in qualifying time is limited do you want to spend a minute waiting to see if the car beaches itself, gets itself out of the beach and onto the access road and back onto the road? Or do you want to stop that clock to give the drivers and to give everybody that time to possibly be more competitive? I don't disagree with what they've done here. And at least they were consistent. They were consistent. The whole weekend. Well, I will give them that, Phil. Absolutely. But okay, yeah. let's give everybody more time. But then you hose over anybody who's on a good lap, see Carlos Sainz and qualifying. Who just but they would have been the hosed flight. over anyway. No, Carlos Sainz wouldn't because he was past the site of the crash. Okay, before. and then, then no, you're right. And that, but then you're not penalizing everybody consistently because then you penalize people that drive by that corner at that point. Well, they, but they, not the person who's already gone past and then is finishing the lap. So I can see that six to one, half a dozen to the other. You know, at least they were consistent. I agree with you on that. I'm just, I just saw them like, yeah, maybe. You're 15 seconds too trigger happy. Maybe. 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 But these are all the issues we have with race control and or the stewards. So there we go. Unless we want to talk about DRS activation. Actually, that could be something we should talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, well, your comment's really interesting, right? Like, tell us more about this one. My comment that I wrote on the board or what Gareth was talking about, because I actually think he has a point there when he talks about the DRS zone being active. Tell right? us about both. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I think... I really do feel that they were late and really far down the, in opening up that uh, DRS zone. There was only one. That part of the track was dry. They could have opened it up easily 10, 15 laps earlier. To wait well into the halfway point, I think that was a, a mistake on the race control side. And just listeners, like DRS is deactivated. You can't use it when it's wet. And it's completely up to race control, the people running the race. So when it gets turned back on, there doesn't seem to be any sort of rule. It's completely subjective to race control. It's a safety thing. And some folks say they waited too long. We heard some drivers on the radio saying to their engineers, hey, what, what's going on with the DRS? Yeah. 
who was it? Seb Vettel after the race, he was interviewed on F1 TV and he said it was wetter out than it looked. Offline was really wet and actually this track is incredibly wet. The surface might look dry, but it's still wet below that. And Imola, I don't think we talked about this when we got into the history. It's uh, a lot of elevation changes, like Aqua Minerale, yeah. big, big hill. And some of those areas were, were wet, although there is, as Spence pointed out, only one DRS zone into the first chicane. And Spence's comment was, too difficult to pass without the DRS. It would have been a snoozer had there not been DRS. Leave it up to race control to figure out when they want to turn it on. I mean, they know more than we do sitting on our couches at home. But you can say argue that for anything then. Why do we have a podcast? Because we like to argue about anything. <laughs> it's not like they can turn it on for like one zone and then... Well, in this case, they could. And then turn on the other zones. Well, there's, they, o- there's only one DRS that, zone. Down the there's only street. one zone. Okay. So it could have been, is it clear enough on that main street into the first chicane to do it? And they didn't. That was also where there, we had the massive badass Russell crash last year when they came together in similar kind of wet conditions. When Russell got offline and spun around and took out Bottas. So and maybe again, they were, you know, airing on the side of caution. So Phil, you say at least it's all consistently, boringly unbiased. Well, I'm just, that's my reference to last year where it was consistently yeah. unboring. Yeah, I was Definitely poking. very biased. <laughs> it's weird. Like none of us are really wearing tinfoil hats. This year. Michael Massey but... did everything he could to try to get Lewis to win that championship. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Let's move on to Stilly season. We've lost Spence for a little while, but let's start with the Stilly season. I like Spence's comment. I'm going to steal it for a moment. But when Spence is saying Piastri to Williams, I haven't heard that. But if that's true, man, that's going to be fun. Have you? From somebody other than Andrew Spencer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ted Kravitz's notebook. He started off the race notebook saying that, oh, new paddock rumor is whether he made that up himself on the spot. I don't know. But Piastri to Williams. <laughs> And I, I kind of looked at this and said, very interesting, but it would be from like Otmar Safnauer's lending library. Could they yeah, kind of lend true. him out to Williams for a couple of years? How many more years does Fred have on the contract? He's, he's there until 26, 25. He's supposed to be there till 25, I think. Yeah. No, 24. Two, two more years. Yeah, two more years. But no, that would make sense. And I think it would make a huge amount of sense for Williams to get another top quality driver in there. And they've already proven that they are ready to wheel and deal to get drivers on like lens or whatever. And the one other interesting thing, and a guy named Luca DeMello, who is head of Renault, he's CEO of Renault. He was there this weekend. He's Italian guy, he's head of Renault, French company, who owns Alpine, which is the racing branch of Renault, which the Australian guy, Oscar Piastri drives for, who's also Australian, Italian, just like Danny Rick. But yeah, the CEO of Renault was there. So maybe there's some deals in the works because I think it's, smart as anything for Alpine to put Piastri somewhere for next year too. Absolutely. The only bad news there is we'll lose a Canadian to pick up. We'll always have Lance Stroll. Well, that's true. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's an interesting prospect. It's super exciting, really entertaining if Piastri comes in for Latifi and then Albin has to race that much harder, which like Albin's having a good year. I'm super impressed. Now you get Piastri in there. Like, he, he has to race harder to keep things where they are. So I like the shift. I like the shift. Does then Nicholas go to IndyCar? Z? I think Nick Latifi would actually do really well in IndyCar. I would say he probably would go to IndyCar, yeah. 
Yeah, because he's like a wholesome, clean-cut guy who's actually, you know, not not a horrible race driver. And you see that people like Marcus Erickson can go to IndyCar and win races. You could probably go there, have a promising career in the Andretti, Sofina racing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I think it's a great, like, Roman Grosjean's had two really good seasons. IndyCar is a great place for Formula One drivers to leverage their expertise and experience and go and be actually in parallel machinery because the indie cars are all the same relatively and really display whether you can sink or swim yeah, yeah no, that's fair that's fair let's move over to what you talk about lewis what you talking about lewis yeah let's check out the best radio or broadcast boats for the weekend from the weekend that was the formula one rolex drawn premio del made it san marino we're the best quotes from San Formula Marino. One Rolex Grand Primo Del made in Italy, Emilia Romagna. As Ted Kravitz said, it's a race so good they sold the name three times. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a mouthful. It could also have something to do with how expensive it is to, to get a Formula One race, but we'll just leave that there. Toast a Formula One race? No. No, Phil. What are you talking about? No, no, no. What am I talking about? I know. No. Anyway, back to what you're talking about, Lewis. I really would like to say boring. Because there really wasn't yeah. much radio. Boring. I mean, what is this? I like. Did everybody suddenly get less funny on the radio? No, no, I'll say this. I don't want to go back to Abu Dhabi style radio where you get the team bosses and principals doing stupid shit. But I think getting into the heads with the drivers and what they're thinking, what they're doing a little bit more was kind of fun. I. I agree with that. I didn't want to hear the FIA radio anymore, but I did want to hear more drivers, and I did want to hear the broadcasters. It feels like the broadcasters are being really conservative this year. I don't know if they're just worried about getting some kind of backlash. They say something about any driver, but I don't know. Like last year, those guys were on fire. They were cracking jokes, and they were having fun. Like last year at Spa underneath the water, like at one point at the end, Martin Brundle was like, well, we're going to need some water, anybody? Anybody, anybody? Anybody can find some like <laughs> stuff like that was happening all last season long. And this season it's yes, this happened and this happened. And my voice is going to go up a little bit because this is happening. And then it's still not going to say anything interesting at all. Like, I don't know what's going on in the broadcast. Yeah, I would agree with you. I have no idea. Yeah. What's that cracking sound? Hell freezing over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. The one thing I'd say about radio is the F1 TV does a radio rewind. You know, we usually kind of, four or five days after the race, they cut together a bunch of radio and onboards and it, it's actually pretty decent. So the radio is there, the, um, state run TV, IE like the F1 world feed people are just not putting the radio on. Not showing it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Gareth, you want to text Spence and tell him he's got, uh, two minutes to come on and do his winter win or you do an impression of him? No, he's got to bounce according to the text message he sent. To our three or four listeners, uh, this isn't a job that pays the bills by any stretch, and we do have real jobs that we do have to go do things for sometimes. However, if there's anybody who would like to help us pay the bills, we'll gladly take that. All right. Or did I lose you guys too? That was the perfect cutout. It was brilliant. We're also going to apologize for Phil's internet tonight. He's in some hotel in some backwater province. It's clearly the Curse of Oak Island, which, if you're the producers of that show, we'd love you to sponsor <laughs> us, because Phil broadcasted from there tonight. <laughs> Ah, well, Randy, shall we move on to Winger Wow?
wow. So I'm stealing Spence's because he's not here and I didn't write mine. Randy, why don't we tell listeners what we do in Winter Wow? So Winter Wow is kind of our final impressions of the race weekend as a whole. Are there things that we have to complain about? Are there things that we are super excited by? Complaints are a whinge. A wow is self-explanatory. If you don't know what a wow is, well, wow, man, you really are nerdy, aren't you? And we try to do three takeaways from the race. One about a driver or team. One about the race or the venue impression. Give a future of the sport thought and what we're looking forward to for the next race. Yeah, totally. So I just want you read Spence because you do a better Spence voice than I do. Oh. Well, it's all for AMR. Spence was very excited, I think, as we all were, to see Aston Martin racing. Lance Stroll said Vettel bounce back, especially said Vettel after the years had. Yeah. So that, that was his team and driver thought. We already covered his, and you would have heard at the top of the show, he thought this race was boring. He thought it would have sucked without DRS. Blah, blah, blah. Wine, wine, wine. Whinge, whinge, whinge. Whinge, whinge, whinge. Andrew Spencer. Cool down room. I don't know, though. Like, I, I think I would actually love to see this whole race without DRS to see had they just said, you know, screw it, we're not doing DRS all race. You guys figure yourselves out on the track. Yeah, if, if they'd sent that message to everybody, it would have been great. Yeah, I, I think you would have seen a different level of creativity. We saw a passing without DRS, and I honestly hope that the FIA plays with DRS this year to find kind of what's called the right magic mix of not too much, not too little, just right in terms of the zones and length of the zones so that you don't have people blowing by in the streets because that's not the intent of DRS. You want to have people side by side in the braking zone for a corner so that they can challenge each other into the corner. That's the exciting racing. That, that is Max Verstappen overtaking Charles Leclerc at the end of the sprint race. The intent of DRS is to have overtakes like we had in the sprint race where Max Verstappen got up to Charles next to him in a braking zone right at the end of the race, got the pass done. They fought for it. They fought cleanly. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see people blown by on the street. Yeah. And then, of course, his what to look for for next race. Spencer asks, query, will people still be playing Miami or has Will Smith been F1 canceled? I don't think so. I think people will still play Miami. I actually expect Smith to be on that grid along with Serena and everybody else trying to buy Chelsea. So I think Miami's just going to be a show, right? It's going to be a show. Apparently, there's not a lot of grandstands. It's mostly like paddock club and private sponsor venues and that sort of stuff. Like it, it seems like they've gone very like see and to be seen, very fancy. Don't care about the punters coming in with their plagues and all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good race to drink foofy drinks and watch TV. I mean, for us, it's the afternoon, right? Yeah. So, you know what? If I'm MTO, I will come over and I'll make us. My ties that just taste like Negronis. So. You just make us Negronis. I know. So those, those were Andrew Spencer's impressions. Yeah, let's see Phil's impressions because we lost Phil to you. So it's still too early, or is it? It is. It is still early in the season. Anything, any, anything it is, is possible still. That is a crazy, crazy sentence instruction. But yeah. He's, he's not good with the English language. No. He's, I, he's not English. I'm not an English role. <laughs> You know, for once, Phil is being an optimist. I mean, I like the optimism, Phil. And I know people are talking about this thing like it's almost over, but I, I think... Well, There's 19 more races. I agree with Phil's impression. Still too early in the season. I do too. The Hondas did not blow up, but the Silver Arrows were missing. Agree. That did happen in this race. We had 100% reliability from all four Honda engines. 
Yeah. Is that the first race this year that we've had 100% Honda reliability? It is. A Honda, whatever development RBR is doing, it seems they've, well, let's see what happens in Miami. But with the long straights in Miami. Well, and it's probably going to be hot in Miami. Yeah. You know, it was cooler, it wasn't hot, but maybe they got on top of their fuel issue. We'll see. Even like with the heat and the fuel, those kind of straights in Miami, like Checkout and Max are going to be punching it. And we'll see if they just redline the thing. Let's hope they do. It'll be fun. It's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. Phil's comment about Imola was he loves it because he's a traditionalist, even though it's a little processional. I think we've covered that. And then uh, he gives us the breathtaking insight, Philip, that Miami should be interesting. Oh, good, Phil. I'm so glad that you just gave us that depth of analysis. Every Formula One race should be interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Especially in a new venue. Yes. Ah, my impressions, my team impression, Ferrari and Leclerc have proved that they're not the second coming of Italian Jesus, even though he works for the team. Yeah. They've proved that they are fallible, that they make mistakes, and that they're not just going to march away with an 8,000-point lead in this championship. Fantastic. We've got to fight. I think that makes Leclerc and or Carlos, like, I don't want to. Well, it makes Leclerc more human because he's a lovely guy by all accounts, apparently. But he he's not imperious. Yeah, I think it makes him, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but like a people-friendly champ. Like He's the people's champ. If he wins this thing, like people will love him for it. You know, he had some bad races. I think Carlos Nice is a really interesting one. I mean, he's got a great power about underneath him, clearly. He knows how to drive it, clearly. I don't know what you need to do to create your own luck. It just has to come. Yeah. Yeah. My kind of venue and sport thought is the new cars worked really well in the wet. They were able to race and follow each other in the wet and the dry. And as we talked about, they worked without DRS or without as much DRS, which gives us all hope that we can play with this and we can have good close racing. I'd like to give an honorable mention about the circuit to the White Line Aqua Minerale that we talked about. It was <laughs> brilliant. Oh, love it. So responsible. And then Future of the Sport thought, because this was our first European race of the year, all the motorhomes are back in the paddock. Yep. The, the hospitality setup that every team has. And those are truck trailers, but they are truck trailers that are massive transformers that get put together and they swing out and they have atriums. And I just find it super cool because I'm a nerd that way. Yeah, well, I mean, you go into the States, right? Like, can you really compete with the States when it comes to motorhomes? Did you look at any of the motorhomes there? And when I say motorhomes, they're semi-truck trailers that get expanded up to three or four stories. That's true. They are Optimus Prime. And that are like four or five semi-trucks wide with these massive atriums and just fantastic stuff. And I mean, they are fascinating feats of engineering, quite frankly. The future of prefab housing, man. Yeah. Well, and one of the other really interesting things is F1 itself, Liberty Media finally has like a giant hospitality motorhome themselves. And F1, back, especially back in the Bernie Eccleston days, didn't used to have that. And I saw some shots from in and around it. And this is F1 really trying to sell the experience right. to the people who are decision makers. Like you're, you're going to be in the motorhome in the paddock if you're somebody. Usually, but they're really trying to sell the experience to sponsors and investors and that sort of stuff. And I thought it was great. Nice. All right. Well, my driver team, I'm going to talk Lewis because why not? Because that's what I do. And I think I really am getting tired. And I think George is 
getting tired of the Blues, get tired of them trying to drum up some kind of drama between them being F1 media, but also F1 Twitter and other content creators. Mm-hmm. There's no drama between them, right? The guys are trying to figure it out. George is doing better right now, but George's also mature enough, knows well enough, like you don't count Hamilton out. But if you do count him out, that plays into his strengths, right? Like that's exactly what he wants you to do is, is believe that he's come, he's nowhere because that's when he shows up. So exactly. And I think George is also kind of a very, well, even Lewis, both very good team players. Yeah. And they're, I'm sure, working as hard as anybody at Mercedes Benz to get that car developed to a level that it can be competitive. Yeah. I mean, I think whatever like Lewis Toto blow up happened was going to happen anyways, right? Like at some point, I honestly think it was Toto disciplining Lewis, a driver saying, Why like, are you out of the car? The, the session's like, not over. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like you. you don't get out the car until I don't care who you are. You don't get the car until I tell you to. I would agree with you because if the session had been red flagged or they're waiting for it to restart, but it was George was still in the car and you got to be ready to go out and try again. Yeah. So hopefully that's what happened. I hope so. I hope so. You know, overall race, I love Imola. I always have. I've loved it since I became a fan. In fact, you know, for, I don't think I've ever mentioned it, but like first race I ever watched was the race after Imola in 94. A friend of mine came in really upset. And so like the next weekend when he wanted to watch the race, I watched it with him. Right. So even though I didn't well, watch Ayrton's last race, Imola is responsible for my fan. Yeah. There you go. I definitely, I was watching that race before we had to go to church. <laughs> and I was like, they're taking it out in a helic, like they're doing, like, you have to go be in junior choir or do altar service or something. Let's go. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a great venue. I agree with Phil. It's a little bit processional, but I kind of, I like it. I like processional I, races insofar as the Monaco's because it does put pressure on quality. It does put pressure on... It put pressure on quality. It also... There's a little bit of who dares wins. Like, you want to get past somebody, you're not just going to try. You're going to really have to try. Oh, hell. We didn't talk about it. George's pass in Tamborello. I think it was when he passed K-Mag. And holy shit, was that a piece of driving. Yeah. Like, wow. Was that impressive. Yeah. It's a harder circuit to race on. It forces you to try harder and be better. And do you want a super speedway where everybody's swapping positions, you know, every quarter of a lap, or do you want something where it's special to pass? The balance is somewhere between that. Yeah. So you gave my future the sport thought, and I actually kind of wished Bill and Spencer with us, but I'll bring it up again, or at least they'll listen back on this, is that I would actually like to see Pirelli do more compounds with the wet tire and give them more options for... Like a soft intermediate and a harder intermediate and that sort of... Yeah, like, so that... And I'm sure that's just cost savings if they don't do that. I'm pretty sure that's right. But I think that would be great. Like a full wet race rather than like, no, you know what? It's either the wet or the intermediate. You change between those two. Like you actually still have four wet compounds to choose from and you still got to figure out the changes. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, obviously for all tire manufacturers, like they come up with the snow compound, the half wets, the I live in BC versus the I live in the desert type of wet compounds. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure the the science is out there and I, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it on these cars. That's the beauty of F1 as it always is, is imagining what could be on the road. And so, I mean, I would love to see that for wet races like this. I think they would make them even that much more interesting. 
what to look for next race. It's going to be Miami, right? So lots and lots and lots and lots of celebrity. I think we're going to have to bring back our fashion segment next time around. I think we're going to see a dogfight next race. Like first race in the Americas, you're going to see, I think the McLarens are back and they want a solid hold on being that, that third place team. I think, yeah, you're going to see the regular Ferrari Red Bull battle. I think the arrows, if nothing else, the silver arrows are going to say arrows isn't here. They haven't competed for 20 years. Say, the silver arrows are just going to the silver discuses as they were right now. Silver porpoises. I guess all purpose was silver. I don't know. Yeah, I think Mercedes, those drivers are going to be motivated, right? I think Lewis is going to be motivated because he's in the States. That kind of energy is going to pass off to George. George is going to feed off of it. I think Mercedes is going to get hosed. I, I just took a look at the track map. And this is a track that loops around like the Hard Rock Cafe Stadium. I think it's a football stadium. There's a giant long back straight. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Like they're getting hammered on that. There's a few other big straights to it. I think they get killed on DRS, but again, I'm not talking about the car. I think the drivers are going to drive themselves out of that car, right? I expect lots of fun things. I expect Austin type energy with a lot more celebrity mm-hmm. fluff. With even even more celebrity than Austin, just because it's Miami. Yeah, I, it, which is actually exciting, right? Because like when I think about that, then. If the celebrity mainly moves to Miami, then Austin and all of Coda becomes a different type of culture for its race, which I'm kind of excited about, right? Like, I think you get real enthusiasts, I will say, for the sport that end up going to Coda, where like the CNB scene becomes Miami and then eventually Las Vegas. And those two split. Which there is nothing wrong with that because Coda is an amazing circuit. And the CNB scene is kind of, you know, a nice part of the sport, but. It gets in the way. It does get in the way. And this is kind of where I'm going. Like, I think Coda's a great place to race. And there'll be a ton of fun to see, like, the unintended consequences of three very distinct cities in the U.S., starting Mm -hmm. with Miami. Excellent. Which way do we face, Randy? (laughs) Right on. And with that, the checkered flag falls on another episode of Flippin' F1. While it's just been Gareth and I closing this thing out, there's been our share of technical issues and life traffic issues and just adulting in regular. As always, Flippin' F1 is a hobby farm production. We're edited by Eric Wellman, who makes us sound smarter, funnier, better than we actually are. And boy, does he have his hands full this week, because all of us are tired and generally feeling a little bit lethargic. Sorry, Eric. Sorry, Eric. As always, check us out on Twitter at, at FlippinF1. You can follow myself at rnanjad. You can follow others by following me. And in general, it's a good night from the professor, from our man on the left coast, Spence. And of course, Gareth, say good night. Good night. We like y'all. Please rate us. Please download us. Please do all those things that make our cast stick out from the other million F1 podcasts. Good night from the panel. Cheers. Do that.